You know I love a high-low moment. From the heart of New York City. Morning, people. It's Morning People with Preston Conrad. Yep, into it. And it all starts right now. One of the things that drove me specifically to plastic surgery was that people choose to have this health care. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, Dr. Ryan Neinstein. He is the founder of Neinstein Plastic Surgery here in New York City. I also, you may recognize that name because that's where I go to get my Botox. But this is such a great conversation with Dr. Neinstein. We get into everything from nurturing amazing relationships to maximizing your day, tackling everything you need to, and still feeling fulfilled. And of course, we get into a little plastic surgery tips and tricks as well. This is a really great episode, and he's got a lot of great takeaways. So sit back and relax. Here is Dr. Neinstein. Dr. Neinstein, this is the first time I'm seeing you digitally on the podcast and not when you're up in my face at your office. <laughs> Preston, thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to spend some time with you. I'm so glad I met you. I'm sure a lot of people listening probably already know of you, even if they don't live in New York, because I, whenever I come in to get a little tweak and touch up, I'm always raving about the time I have at your office. Um, kind of on the one of the most iconic corners of Manhattan by a very famous department store by Central Park. You're in the sweet spot. Before we get into like all the good stuff, how does yeah. one become a celebrity famous plastic surgeon in the most expensive city in the world? How does that happen? Well, I don't think you become successful at anything unless you have true passion and conviction for it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, medicine was just something that always had a calling for me mm. growing up as Ch uh, grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, it was really instilled and woven into my DNA to have a life of meaning and purpose. Mm. And, you know, s the study of science with the certainty, you know, combining with the camaraderie of teamwork, and I grew up playing a lot of sports, really led me to medicine. It's, you know, you can do things exact and you can do it in a team and you can make real positive impact. I always liked surgery over using a stethoscope. <laughs> I just liked doing things versus, you know, listening to things. Yeah. And when it comes to choosing a specialty, I truly believe I would have been happy as a brain surgeon, as a heart surgeon. But one of the things that drove me specifically to plastic surgery was that people choose to have this healthcare. Mm -hmm. So they're engaged people. It's not something bad has happened to them, a disease state, a trauma. Um, they're choosing to do it. And I tend to find a lot of commonalities in the personalities of my patients. And, you know, just like choosing friends or surrounding yourself with people you like to be around, and it, it makes my life a little more um, purposeful working with people that I understand. So that dropped me here. Yeah. And I guess if you, now that you say it, it totally makes sense because everybody that kind of steps foot in your door wants to better themselves in some way, right? Maybe they've. Yeah. They've just had a, a baby and they don't feel their best selves or maybe they're just going they're on their own journey and they want a little touch up. Um, that's a really interesting way to put it. Everybody's striving to be them their best selves. So and you're that guy, too, because I see you at SoulCycle. You're <laughs> you're empowering everybody around you. And I think that's a really nice match. Yeah, I, I really believe that, you know, a meaningful, happy life is always continuous improvement and continuous exploring. Mm -hmm. One of the things we like to say in the office is like, stay curious just a little longer, mm. ask just a few more questions, try something a little bit harder. 
And it, that brings just a lot of joy into life. Well, speaking of doing things harder, I can't imagine the New York City market is easy going. <laughs> I mean, you are with some of the wealthiest people in the world. I'm sure you have a good amount of celebrities that step foot in your door. I mean, you have annoying people like me coming through the door all the time, athletes, influencers, celebrities, creators. What's it like with that demanding workload in a place where people really fucking care about what they look like? (laughs) (laughs) Well, iron sharpens iron. Okay. So if you want to be the best version of yourself, hold yourself to the highest standards and surround yourself with the highest level challenge. Mm. So I, I like to lean into the friction. Yep. I want the people who demand the best, expect the best, and are looking for that next level. And that's why, you know, probably to a toxic, obsessive level, I have chosen, you know, three different operations and literally spend my whole adult life thinking about them all day long, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How do I improve that? And that type of being is not for everyone, but it is for the type of people that come to my office from around the world. They're looking for yeah. that obsessive compulsive with a very narrow scope of practice. I always forget this about you, but I obviously know it because I trust you guys implicitly with my face and my body when I come in there. But what's it like? Talk to me about your approach of being like, not a jack of all trades, but the king of a few specific things like what was your approach there instead of being the doctor that's like yeah i do this and i do this and i do that like you chose really specific lanes and you mastered them yeah it's more of a self it's more of who i am as someone who really understands you know as someone who reads a lot i have a true appreciation for this like sense of mastery in whichever way you want to describe that but that really takes the humility of knowing that as the island of knowledge grows, so does the shore of ignorance. So even though you know the average plastic surgeon in America may do 30 liposuction cases a year and I'll do 800, yeah. I'm constantly, constantly challenging myself to ask more questions and learn more. So my personality of understanding there's no such thing as perfection, but that there is a perfection in the pursuit of perfection, mm. a relentless, consistent recalibrating and you know checking yourself and constantly trying to improve it leads me to do very few surgeries yeah. that I truly believe serve patients well and that have are infinite. There's no end game to surgery. There's no, like you can never say, That's it. I've come to the end of this operation. I know everything. (laughs) So, and the more you focus, the more corners and hidden areas of the operation you learn. And that's, you know, my singular purposeful drive. And that speaks to people like that would speak to me. If I want a procedure, I want someone who thinks about that procedure, not just, you know, that day, Yep. Not just that week, mm-hmm. not just that month, not even that year, like decades. <laughs> what is the procedure, the gold thing that you are known for that the most people call you about? So my number one procedure is the mommy makeover because is it, it is the, you know, like a symphony. It is the orchestra, a harm, the harmony between liposuction, removing skin, 
and breath surgery. It's putting it all together in one. Yep. And each operation is going to have its own flow. Each operation is going to have its own design. Each operation is going to have its own sound and smell. And that is, pro- I think, the hardest operation in plastic surgery. You're covering 60 to 70% of someone's body surface area. Yeah. But to simplify it, you know, we do lipo, we do tux, and we do yep. breast surgery. Yep. And lipos, for those listening, I mean, I have, I feel like I've researched this world plenty, and I know friends that have gotten a million things done. I mean, it's come a million light years from when you think of lipo back in the day. I mean, especially in a practice like yours, it is like hyper-technical. Yeah, the traditional sense of liposuction or the understanding was that it removes a large amount of fat from people who don't take care of themselves. And now we are sculpting and toning Mm -hmm. and tightening people who do take care of themselves who are really looking for that final mile. And it's that fine, you know, they know the edges of of their body. Most of them live as close to a monk, not like a monk, but as close (laughs) to a monk as possible. Yeah. And they might have even touched that zenith of their body with, you know, two weeks of really not eating and obsessive exercising. And they know that it's not realistic to get that final mile on their own. It's not sustainable. And that's where we come in. Because if you can do that safely and you can do that predictably, um, and take away the stress and anxiety that comes along with surgery, you can make a lot of people happy. And that's a pretty meaningful, rewarding life. It totally is. And um, the, you mentioned the stress and anxiety. I think something you do really well, if, if anyone hasn't checked out Dr. Nineteen's Instagram, there's a whole team of people that I love that work over at that office. But I think you create an environment. What, what are your feelings on the environment of a brand, like and of a person and of a space? Your, your office feels like a home. It feels like a chic hotel on the Upper East Side and I want to move in. It smells good. How does that parlay like into your brand of plastic surgery? Well, I like to, you know, decide what the magic is, almost like Walt Disney-like, and then work backwards. Yeah. And a brand to me should be a gut feeling. I mm-hmm. shouldn't really, when you do it right, Yeah. people know it. Yeah. People have no doubt and there's no mistake that that's the way they want it. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's, we do very few operations. We do them incredibly well, but more importantly, we are obsessive about the patient care and patient experience and make something incredibly stressful, incredibly anxiety ridden, and we make it comfortable and enjoyable. And that is the big paradigm shift in our practice, in our brand, is being patient, experienced, focused. And we bring that to life in our office with the way we want our uniforms to look, with the way we want things to smell, with the way we're obsessive over the cleanliness of everything, and with the words everyone uses and the physical location. It is, yeah. a, it, you know... Every possible touch point is about our brand. It's very and- Ralph Lauren. When I was at Ralph, <laughs> those were that those are the things what it touched had the touch, the smell, the sound, the music, the finish on the wood. It was very that. And you think very much in that brand. I like that you mentioned Disney. Yeah, we actually sent a lot of our team members to the Disney Institute. Mm. And what we found was before our book of the month was be our guest from Walt Disney. Yeah. 
we were actually doing a lot of the things that they do over at Disney. Obviously, yeah. we learned some extra stuff, but making the practice, you know, happy staff, happy patients, yeah. and everyone obsessing over every possible detail. I know a lot of people maybe not think it's sexy anymore to obsess over their work, but I disagree. And uh, we have a team full of people who do obsess over their work. And yep. it can't. that's how you can get to the to create something special. But what is it about you, do you think, that lets these people obsess over their work? Because you have to love where you step foot every day. And I think you foster an environment that lets people do that. What do you think it is about you as a leader? Because your name's on the door. And as people say, fish rots at the head. So if anything bad goes down, <laughs> it usually starts at the top. Why do people love it there so much? I text with your crew. I know them. And, and, I, and they are happy every time I show up. So- you know, spending a lot of time on recruitment, mm -hmm. retention, and surrounding ourselves with the right, with the people that fit our mold. And yeah. the employee or team member engagement and happiness is every year my top priority when we talk about goals for the next year. Yeah. It, fil it filters down to the patients. And the three things I think all people who join our team and essentially all people who are looking for a meaningful life, you know, people want autonomy. Mm -hmm. We give, we don't put people in a box. We want them to use their training, their personality. We give people the opportunity to seek mastery. Everyone is always learning, whether it's from the book of the month to, we sent people to Wharton last year. We sent people to Disney this meeting, this weekend, we're going to the American society of plastic surgery. Some of the nurses are going to take courses. There's always an opportunity for mastery. And the third is common purpose. People like having a common goal. I yeah. mean, it is nice to root for the same outcome. Every person you meet from the UPS guy yeah. to our sterility and cleaner people like can tell you what the goal is every day. Yeah. And it reminds me of, you know, when JFK visited Cape Canaveral and he saw a janitor doing something in a closet. He said, what are you doing? And the janitors told JFK, I'm putting a man on the moon. <laughs> totally. That's, wait, that's kind of crazy analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you want everyone, regardless of what they're doing, to be all about the patient experience and patient outcome. And by the way, if the ORs aren't perfectly sterile, you know, if the UPS delivery <laughs> is not perfect, yeah. if it, everything matters. And so that common purpose is something we talk about. And that's something that we make front and center. And that's something, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time learning managerial and, you know, organizational structure yep. techniques. What are your thoughts on just overall, I don't know, this, I'm really fucking competitive. And I can imagine that your world's really competitive. What, where do you stand on healthy competition. I mean, I can only imagine that there are- I think it's so of, important. Yeah. I think it's so important that um, there's a lot of people in your space doing great things. Mm -hmm. And I want everyone who does what I do to constantly be pushing me farther, right? Like yep. if you want someone to run faster, just put someone in front of them and they will run faster. <laughs> totally. So I think competition is essential. Yep. Um, I think friendly competition. You know, one of the nice things about medicine is a lot of the surgeons like to share information. It's kind of like the basis of medicine. So mm. when you think, when you optimize or do something that's new and innovative, 
it's actually better to share it. And it's actually, you know, it's really rewarding when other surgeons are doing it. And I, and I always say there's enough patience for everybody. You can't operate on the whole world. Yep. <laughs> so that's valid. And, there's and enough in this town. There's a plenty of patience. <laughs> and you can't, I still have yet to see someone be able to build a building by knocking down the buildings next to them. So there's really no reason for that type of competition. Man, my notepad has so many good Dr. Neinsteinisms already <laughs> down on it. All right, I want to I want to get into fun plastic surgery stuff. Yeah. So um, let's talk about guys because I'm obsessed with this new movement of men like me and like tons of guys all over the world getting more interested in making themselves feel better, maybe through plastic surgery and not talking yeah. injectables. We'll get into injectables, but what's the new big shift happening with guys in plastic surgery? Like, what are you seeing the most? Cause I know you, you work with a lot of like star at, you know, kind of trainers, athletes. What are you seeing that people want the most from a real procedure? Well, number, number one, the, the skincare, you yep. know, people like to do a lot of things. That's more common. Men get Botox, men get lasers. I do all that myself. Yep. Nice. And it, really it's because we're bad at like daily skincare. We're more like, I'd rather go get a laser every four or five months than like <laughs> really? have, a have a routine every night Yeah. and Botox versus like staying out of the sun. So that actually makes a lot of sense for men who don't want to do things daily. And then the procedures, I mean, listen, it is so straightforward. It's, you know, the tire, the lower abdomen and the waist Yep. and the gynecomastia or man boobs. Man boobs. And, yep. And because we can do it with minimal scarring and we can give people an experience where they don't feel like they're doing something that's not manly, yep. you know, we attract A type people. We don't have a practice designed for a gender. We have a practice designed for people who are looking to better themselves. And that really doesn't limit to anything. And I think maybe that's what I maybe that's what I'm liking or what I've noticed about your practice and when we first met was that you started sharing maybe more on social stories of guy patients. Yeah. And when I was look, you know, of course, who doesn't in New York City follow some plastic surgeons, right? But this is before we met. And I think it's a pretty rare thing for it to see, like, of course, a beautiful woman or a mom that feels better about herself, or this cool guy that kind of looks like me. I like that you're very gender less about your approach to procedures. hundred percent. You know, we don't use the website isn't stock images of women and stock images of ripped guy. Yeah. You know, we like people who live in the real world yep. who have stubborn areas and they want us to get rid of them. Yeah. Our office is not designed for a specific gender. Like, you know, it's like going into a really nice hotel. Everyone yeah. likes it. Yeah. Everyone should feel comfortable there. Totally. What, Everyone likes to lobby at whatever <laughs> hotel you want to name. Yeah. That's our design here. I remember in training going to offices and being like, who is, who's supposed to be here? Like, <laughs> who is I, this place I, for? <laughs> I don't feel comfortable here. You yeah. Know? And I'm looking around and I'm like, this is just odd. Yeah. Or when you go to the, you see those like Groupons for med spas and the girls like a spray tanned, like XXX model, like, and you're like, I'm not going there and trusting my face with these people. I mean, this well, is crazy. I, I, think I think the med spa world is maturing. I think that it serves 
a, a really excellent role when yeah, done properly. Yeah, what do properly. you think of these like everybody jacked all these? If you guys aren't familiar, in New York, there's this new breed of essentially it's like dry bar for your face. Yeah, I think um, it's great, to be honest. I think it's fantastic do. for our industry. I think that as more private equity gets in, it's going to crystallize mm-hmm. and sharpen. Yep. You know, these kind of big players and big money pockets are not going to do things willy nilly. Yeah, they're they're going to they're going to get things really professional. Yeah. And because of their purchasing power, they'll get the price point down. Yeah. So that will allow a lot more people entry into the space. Yeah. So I think twofold, you're going to get more people and it's going to be done safer. And I think that these places are great. Um, And I think the med spa serves a lot of purpose. And I I think anyone who is anti uh, med spa is probably just scared of competition. Totally. I mean, do you think there was a, I feel like there was a boom from COVID staring at my fucking face every day on Zoom all day. And I do TV work as well. And I I feel like I got an extra laser and an extra little Botox like throughout that. Did you see like a new group of people coming into this world of like maybe first time injectables after COVID? Well, I can say what we, we were always, knock on wood, we're always busy. Yeah. But my our international practice, which has seemed paradoxical because of the travel restrictions, right? But when we shifted immediately to telemedicine because we were closed, yeah, you know, I wasn't just seeing patients from the Upper East Side anymore or Tribeca. Mm-hmm. My consults are Rome, Singapore, Virginia Beach, wow, Miami, Palm Beach, L.A. Um, people's algorithms, people's cadences to their lives changed. They mm-hmm. weren't as much hustle and bustle daily. So people are willing to travel yep. internationally to have something that's really important to them that they've been putting off. Yeah, And the pandemic brought doing things for yourself to the forefront for a lot of people. I think so too. It was a major reset. All, almost to the point of like, if not now, when? Totally. What would you, would you, uh, you know, it's funny every time I come into your office and I see Tara or I see you and I tag you guys, I'm flooded with DMs, people saying, oh, um, I'm 28. I don't think I should start yet. I think I started Botox at 30, but people keep at, when should, when did you start? When should I start? Do you have any tips for people who are like, whoa, this conversation is so out of my, like, I haven't had a thing done. I just wash my face at night. Like, how do people know when it's time to like, maybe get their foot wet or get a consult? Uh, I think it's really when you just when you're having when you look in the mirror and you're having concerns yeah. about not to, not trying to reverse aging yeah but is there something that you can do to kind of boost your mood yeah that's safe and yep. predictable yeah you know is your appearance really impacting your mood yeah and I'm not saying the answer is going to be Botox filler or laser mm-hmm. but that is the time when people start thinking about it. Remember, there's a lot of people who never get it because their appearance never impacts their mood. Yeah. You know, <laughs> totally. there's just there. And, and that's great too. Yeah. But I think if a wrinkle, you know, if you put the same wrinkle on 10 people, it's going to bother that 10 people, 10 different ways. So true. It bothers the hell out of me. I'm actually due to come back and see you soon. Um, what's the, <laughs> what's the, um, 
I feel like one thing I've gotten, you know, over my hump of Botox. I remember in my early 30s, I was still nervous about it. Now I can't live without it. Filler is the next thing where I'm not ready for it, don't want it, but seeing a big boom in it in younger people. What are your thoughts on the current shift of more people putting filler in their face? Not older people, you know, younger millennials using that or threading. Are those things like more intense and should people, you know, really go to someone vetted for that kind of stuff? I actually think that is really maturing that that filler concept. I think a lot of older patients mm-hmm. were doing a lot of non-surgical to try to replace or maybe evade something like a facelift. And they're really moving away from that mm. because they understand that trying to lift the face yep. with filler is not a good idea. And I think more of the filler is being in younger people as a little bit of a boost, a little bit of a cheek lift, a little bit of a lip lift, yep. jawline. Yep. It's more of a f- fashionable um, statement. Yep. And I think that's probably where it works best. I think you told me this. You were like a bunch of little things. Do a bunch of, you know, like it's better to do slowly a bunch of little things than come and get jammed full of something somewhere. Yeah, my fa- my uh, the head, the facial plastic surgeons who do a lot of facelifts, you know, they see people who they call it filler fatigue or whatever. They they burn out on trying to anti age. Yep. And it's not even really anti aging. They, you know, it's not going to address their concerns. If your concern is loose sagging skin, yep, it's better to remove it, just like we do on the rest of the body. Yeah. Than to try to just fill it up. I was just talking, I think I was talking to someone about Kathy Hilton and I was comparing her to other real housewives. And I was like, what I like about Kathy is that she just went and had a proper facelift and she looks younger than all these women that have too much filler just piled and piled and piled in. So that's an interesting But everyone has their own taste. You right. know, I really <laughs> honor and respect. It, it is like, it is like fashion. It is like food. Wherever you go in the world, people are going to eat different foods. People are going to dress different. And, so and those true. are things that are unique to that individual. Yeah. So trying to put everyone into like a box of how they should look yeah. just doesn't make any sense to me. Like That's there are so people true. who look overtly odd who are very happy with the way they look. Yeah, they love it. And, that, and you can debate that forever of whether or not you know a doctor should do that. But- yeah. I mean, if your goal is to make the patient happy, yeah. what, you know, if they don't look the way you want them to look, or is your goal to make them look the way you want them to look, or you think they should look, I mean, yeah, that's, so it gets, there's a lot of nuance in plastic surgery with the psychology of a patient, morals, ethics, boundaries, and, um, you need to be juggling all these balls at all the same time with every patient. My last, man, I could talk to you. I feel like I know you so well. I could talk to you. I, I want to get into before we run out of time. How do you, I get this question a lot. People say, how the hell do you do it all? And for a job like yours, which is stressful and high pressure and fun and rewarding, how do you do it all? I, you're on my, your team is up earlier than anyone on my, in my house. Talk so, to me about like balance and, and self-care and keeping your so head I, straight. So I hate the word balance. Okay. I also think the balance changes at different points in your life. Yep. Meaning I'm at a point in my life where there's more work mm-hmm. than, you know, diaper changes with my kids yep. with the anticipation that there'll be more time with my kids when they're older. And I, I, and to me, that can be some meaningful, impactful time, but discipline 
um, is the key for everything to me and my team and discipline and sacrifice. And a lot of people think discipline and sacrifice limits you. I truly believe discipline and sacrifice frees you because if you're well-rested, if you're physically fit, if you're well-read, if you're always prepared, you're never caught off guard. Mm -hmm. You're never put in a situation that you can't handle. And you're not going to be um, almost handcuffed to a vice. And I find that incredibly freeing. And if you're not willing to sacrifice Netflix and going out a lot, so, you know, and a lot of people are not, a lot of people are not willing to give up a huge amount of social life. They're not willing to give up four hours of TV every day. They're not right. willing to give up certain things. Right. And it, and it, cause they think that's limiting, but I actually think it's freeing. You know? I kind of do too. Like people write me a lot and they'll say, I can't believe you get up so early. Just stay in, just sleep in. I'm like, you don't know what I'm unlocking in these two hours before you all get up. This is like the unlock, dude. I'm getting my head right. I'm getting a few steps forward that I, that I want to be you know, today. It's a freeing. You know, my me. wife, you know, my wife, Lauren is like my foundation. It, it's really hard to navigate the world without, you know, your, your co-pilot. Yep. But you know, she thinks I'm crazy bouncing out of bed at four, four thirty every day. And she's always like, what are you doing? And I'm like, the world <laughs> is waiting for me. Like, yeah. and it's, I, I want to go, I'm like excited. I want to get, go up, get up and get going. I want to like go open a book and yeah. like see what I can learn from like a Napoleon battle or from, you know, Kennedy trying to put a man on the moon. And I want to go to the gym and I want to just, um, you know, attack the day, you know, uh, you win the morning, you win the day. Totally. And, uh, that it's just been something that I've just enjoyed. I love it. Do you have any, if you ever have a down moment, because you're always so inspiring and up moments, what's your vice or your thing that, that kind of gets you out of a funk? Is it some sort of, uh, meditation? Is it reading? Is it uh, going to the gym? What's that, that unlock for you? Chocolate covered pretzels. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That cures all. And like, give me the whole bag. Yeah, totally. I'm chocolate covered almonds is mine, I think, when I need a really bad moment. Give me that chocolate covered pretzel and everything is good in the world. Oh, man. What's next for you guys over at Ninesteen Plastic Surgery? Well, I know everyone is always talking about growth and expansion, but we're actually really excited about um, where we are in yeah. terms of three surgeons, two operating room. We have Dr. Anna Steve, who just joined us, mm. who is an amazing mother of two, who just brings the same amount of passion we do to body surgery, to breast surgery. Dr. Chris Funderburk, who is just an outstanding human being and a passionate surgeon doing body surgery. And our goal is simple. We are about maturity over growth. We want to continuously double down on the things we do and get better at um, patient care, patient experience, and surgical outcomes. We're not interested in growing in terms of size. We don't need more locations. Yep. We're not going to Florida. <laughs> Good. I need we're you not here. Going to any, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Good. We're just going to get better. And that's it's about maturity over growth. 
how can everybody find you and learn more about your amazing, you guys need a reality show, by the way, because I was going to say, and your team, because I follow them on Instagram and I feel like they're part of the family. You know, that's been something amazing. And, and a lot of my colleagues asked me, and I said, it, you know, build a tribe. Like you guys yeah. are all helping each other. It's okay for, you know, the people that you work, that work for you and work with you to have their own brand, to go on different podcasts, to explore different things. Yeah. It, you know, you end up getting this network and it arborizes and grows and, and that's okay. Um, and even if they left to do something amazing elsewhere, like you should just be happy that, you know, you were part of their journey Yeah. and then go and go find the next one. Um, but you can find us at 4 West 58th Street on the 12th floor. It's where the dreams are made above Bergdorf Goodman. Yeah, baby. You can follow me at Dr. Neinstein or check us out on the World Wide Web at NeinsteinPlasticSurgery.com. With three surgeons and an amazing facility, we're just able to offer a lot of surgical services for people all over the world. Well, thanks for taking care of this old mug. When I need, <laughs> when giving me my tune-ups that I need, and I will come and see you very soon and tell everybody in your tribe that I say hi. Thank you so much. See you, Ryan. This podcast is a part of the Upstarter Podcast Network. Podcasts are an amazing way for you guys to build and increase the value of your personal brand. So if you're looking to start a podcast just like I did, visit upstarterpods.com to get started today. 